Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from production. Wait, what do we do? No, conception to production, all the way to release and reception. We're keeping that. We're going. That's what um, we do. <laughs> and so what are we doing today? This is kind of a bigger, it's a bigger film. We've been waiting to do it, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I guess this is a joint pick. It's really what started this whole self-aware horror cycle that we're doing. Uh, it is Scream 5. Is that the official title, Scream 5? No, it's it, it's Scream. And there is a kind of an explanation, meta explanation, in the film itself. Uh, it came out in theaters back in June, the resuscitation of the series that began with a film of the same name in 1996. And it's actually now available on VOD. So... We are a little bit behind in restructuring our show, Film Trace, but this is officially the return, and we have uh, a kind of ambitious plan that, yes, like Dan just said, is based around the fact that we knew um, we needed to kind of center it around this new Scream iteration. I don't know what your recall is the term used Uh, in the film. Can we ban that term from this podcast? Was that... Was that created just for the this script? Because that, that wasn't a term before the film, was it? I, I read somewhere that someone had said it before somewhere else. That's what like, I had heard. I don't think it's once, like the first once usage on Reddit. of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Probably some okay. you know, okay. nerd like myself on Reddit uh, getting bored one day. Um, <laughs> so Scream 2022. Wow. Oof. I was really excited for this movie. I saw it um, opening night, Thursday night, the Thursday previews. Man, so I was super stoked for this whole thing. I mean, uh, just to take a step back and think about, it, I love the screen movies. We talked about um, this in a couple of episodes, but uh, I am a huge Wes Craven fan. Scream is one of my favorite movies. I rewatched every single Scream before this one, uh, just to sort of get a, a feeling and get back into the vibe of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts were, but uh, I was pretty underwhelmed by Scream twenty twenty two. It yeah, just did the, not really, uh, you know, it just didn't it didn't hit the right spot that I wanted to hit as like probably a big fan. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's in, and we'll get into sort of the details here, but um, I kind of want to know what your initial thoughts were of it. Right. I, I think we're on the same track. I think there are uh, scenes in the film that are, are exceptions to the overall end product. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the closest I felt to that kind of um, visceral like excitement that the Scream franchise uh, still has yeah. is probably that one. I mean, maybe maybe just the one scene. I really enjoy the daytime kill with the character named Wes. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, and his mom. Um, that is, I think the closest the film gets to kind of recapturing that 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 kind of uh, wild spirit of the originals and i think we should make it clear here and it seems like it's pretty standard across the board we went into it a little bit on twitter uh and it seems like the the agreement is largely there that the i don't know you un- i would say pretty universal ranking is like one two four five three right yeah i think so i mean that's my ranking yeah um i think that makes makes a lot of sense i mean did you get a chance to rewatch any of the old ones 
Just Scream 2, and I mean, I watch the original Scream every couple of years, but yeah. uh, I, I I remember, like, Scream 4 was definitely better than 3, but, like, I don't have a lot of interest in revisiting either of them, just like I don't <laughs> think I'll have much interest revisiting this one. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Should we give, let's give, like, a an umbrella sort of review of Scream really quickly. I'll do it as quickly as I possibly can. Scream comes out in 1996, uh, was left for dead opening weekend, uh, did not do very well. Uh, then all of a sudden, word of mouth kicked in, and it ended up being one of the bigger horror films of 96, 97, and that whole decade. It's one of the biggest horror films of the 1990s. Uh, sequel comes out a year later, 1997. I remember this, uh, sitting in like, you know, people were sitting in the aisle seeing this movie. It was that big. That's a huge hit. Everybody really well done. Uh, I think one of the better horror sequels ever. Um, Scream 3 comes out in 2000, uh, not written by Kevin Williamson, uh, directed by Wes Craven, but a uh, different writer this time, uh, does not do as well as the other movies, and I think is obviously what you said, universally kind of panned as the worst movie. Uh, and then 11 years later, we get Scream 4, which brought back Williamson and Wes Craven, uh, was completely DOA on box office on the release. And like this is one of those movies that like box office nerds still talk about today. Mm-hmm. as being like so such a terrible out of nowhere awful flop uh and so that's one of the reasons why we didn't get a, a scream five right away with uh, craven and williamson uh why we have to only like, 11 years later and obviously west craven died in 2015 and so the production of the movie kind of you know didn't wasn't going anywhere kind of hit a brick wall then and then with um the harvey weinstein stuff uh essentially scream the property was up for sale uh, and Spyglass brought it back in 2019. And that's how we at least got to this point. What about these guys, the directors here? Do you know know their work, like, ready or not? Yeah, so, and that was perhaps one of the reasons why, I don't know, maybe I feel like I was in a little bit of the minority. I was also kind of o- underwhelmed by Ready or Not. It had a ton so of buzz. Did, yeah, so was I. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't see it until uh, it hit streaming. So I know I didn't get caught up in like the initial wave and maybe it kind of had been hyped up a lot in my head. And I think mm-hmm. once again, I think there's redeeming qualities to it. I think Samara Weaving is, uh, was really awesome in it way better mm-hmm. than Melissa Barrera is in this movie, but Ooh, <laughs> we'll dive into that. Yeah. 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 We'll save, we'll save that. But, uh, it's clear that like, these are, these are clever guys. So it's, it makes sense why they, uh, were tapped. Um, to put this together, Matt Bettinelli Open and Tyler Gillette. They seemingly um I don't know. I feel like one of my issues with Ready or Not that I still see with uh Scream 2022. Can we just call it Scream 5? Because I hate saying 2022. Yeah, or it's, it's Scream 5. Because it technically yeah. is a sequel to the all the other movies, so it's Scream 5. Right. Right, right, right. Um, is that like while that cleverness is readily apparent, it doesn't ever kind of congealed to the point of like uh kind of satisfying narrative right um there feels there's no like fullness to it and the uh writers i think are just as you know responsible for that as the directors and well you have guy busick who also wrote ready or not as well as episodes of castle rock and then james vanderbilt who has a little more cred um with well, kind uh, of spotty cred though spotty cred but a writer independent yeah. series virgins Ooh, yeah. Amazing. Ooh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Ooh, i mean 
True. Zodiac obviously is different. It's pretty but... much just Zodiac and the Suspiria remake. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. Movies. Yeah, but do, it doesn't. It just doesn't track for something for an IP that is so beloved. But I mean, that's what we do with IPs, right? We, you know, scrape them out until <laughs> they're shells of their previous until selves. Which is funny, but you say that, and like, there's a, a quote from Harvey Weinstein about like him trying to get his brother to do Scream Five. He's basically like, well, we've, we've milked that cow, is what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, back then it, it felt milked, but now we're in the post-Force Awakens world where mm-hmm. you can just, like, regenerate a cow in the metaverse and keep milking it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like, yeah. we're in a really weird space. I mean, it's like post-post-postmodern. Right. Uh, I don't know what's going on. And this def- this movie definitely fits in that universe where you're sort of like... It, look, I was very excited they were doing it. Like you, Ready or Not to Me was like very hyped in the horror world. I saw it. I was like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get what is so amazing about this. It felt very over the top. It felt completely unnuanced in a lot of different ways. Like lack of subtlety to the point of just like, what are you doing? Um, and apparently that plays well with a certain group of people. Um, right. And, you know, it's cleverness for the sake of cleverness. And it's like, okay, like I'm not. 15 anymore like that doesn't impress me um and so i had a kind of a weird feeling going into this one but I, I don't know like looking at the movie and going through all the quotes and how this thing got made and you know kevin williamson was not on board because he wa- he only wanted to do with wes and wes is now gone he was upset about that and they eventually got him around you know by basically saying as long as you dedicate this to the west like I- i'm i'm on board as executive producer um it it walks this weird fine line of trying to respect the original four films and Wes Craven and what he did in the horror genre. Um, and then, you know, trying to do something new, but what did they, you know, just thinking about it, what did they try to do new here? Really? You know, like what a lot of it, it feels like it was just fan service. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it announced and stuff like that, I was like, I I'm on board because I'm a huge fan. I'll go see it without a doubt. And you know, I'll be engaged and kind of like it for what it is. But even in like, you look at the conception of this and how it came to be, I don't really see any other impetus here than sort of, Oh, like let's get this fire burning again with these embers that we have left over. If that makes sense. Yeah. Do you see anything? I mean, do you see anything in like what they're doing or what they're saying? I mean, the one thing that stands out to me that if I was in the shoes of kind of re uh, restruct regenerating that cow in the metaverse, which I would never do, (laughs) uh, is that there is kind of that kind of propulsion that stems from that nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. And we got that somewhat with Scream 4, right? 11 years after Scream 3. Yeah. Um, that that nostalgia was already like brewing. But I think especially, I don't know if it was like the approaching 25th anniversary of the original in the franchise, or it's more just the, the matter of like the filmmakers today like are finally that generation that literally did grow up with the original Scream. Um, there seems to be some kind of... Uh, generational thing right like you similarly you mentioned force awakeness um you know abrams and johnson did grow up with star wars and then it kind of gets like the torch getting passed down and that's how big that's how influential um 
the Scream franchise has become over the years. So on the one hand, like it doesn't, there is nothing. Yeah. There's nothing new happening here, but it's just the, that old sense of trying to rekindle uh, the chemistry and also trying to push it forward. So like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I mean, financially, it seems like they succeeded at that. Am oh, hundred percent. Yeah, this is a hit. Like, there's already a sequel greenlit for, uh, I guess, next year, isn't it? I think, or at least oh the, whatever. They they greenlit Scream Six. That's going to happen. Um, it is funny that you said that though, because I remember the night after I saw this, I was kind of like let down by it. I was like, oh man, like I thought this was going to be better. And I thought about it that weekend. Um, and it kind of popped into my head. I was like, oh, like, this isn't for me. You know, I'm almost 40. This movie came out when we were teenagers, essentially. It was massively important to both of, both of us. But like this new version, Scream 5, I don't know if I mean, there's fan service involved for people like us, but it actually feels like it's more towards younger people. Right. And that's who showed up to see it. And that was always the big fear of this movie and doing another one. I think the problem with Scream 4 was this, is young people didn't show up to see that one. But right. they did come up to see this one. I think a lot of that had to be like the the casting and how they sort of marketed it and everything. But it was successful from that perspective. But yeah, I think that's a really strong point. It's like, yeah, there's nothing new for us. But if you're 16 or 17 years old and you grew up with Scream, this is going to feel like something new, maybe. Or it's going to feel like it's you're more connected to it. Um, I don't know. Is that is that a valid argument? Well, I would I, I would add that, uh, you know, this year for my high school film studies class, I screened the original Scream yeah. and um, I, I, you know, had talked about it a little bit in the past, but it, it just seemed like there was such an appetite. Like I try to like gauge my students' interests to decide ultimately after we talk about a genre, then like, what am I going to show them as like an example of the pinnacle of that genre? And so in the past, I've definitely mentioned Scream, but there hasn't been a lot of appetite and so i never really chose it to screen it and then i finally chose it this year because it just seemed like that was what was interesting to people i think there's also mm. just like pop culturally and uh fashion wise there's a lot of you know increasing interest in the 90s as uh kind of having cultural cachet yeah. and so kind of looking back on that, it, it has this hipness to it that I do not think it had a decade ago or even five years ago. No, that's true. That is fascinating, too, because like even you look at something like we did um, an episode on the three Fear Street movies. And the first Fear Street movie is basically a ripoff of Scream. I mean, ripoff, yeah. whatever. A homage to Scream. I mean, very much indebted to that slasher 90s uh, aesthetic. Right. And Literally it takes place in 94. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems super hip. Uh, and it felt like it had a sort of a voice on social media and stuff like that, where it connected with the younger people, especially. Um, and I think maybe that's the attempt here. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I'm saying this like, <laughs> oh, it could be a generational thing, and maybe it's for younger people. But that's not the it didn't seem like the intention. Like I'm looking at one of those quotes from the director. Um, I can say that every corner of this movie during the making of it, uh, we have been aware of how to service fans. Have you heard anything like that before from a director? No, that seems uh, pretty antithetical to what had previously been the standard response is like, we don't we, we don't want to, you know, cater to everything like the, 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 the classic example I think of is, you know, when uh, Damon Lindelof 
was making lost and essentially the internet was really pressuring like certain things to happen and if anything i feel like directors and showrunners had uh traditionally kind of wanted to always push back against that not give in to that you know uh craven you know toxic fandom but that's also like literally one of the subject matters of the film yeah no 100 percent. like there's definitely we have crossed the rubicon with that now yeah uh there's another one another great quote here from the producer uh guy and james these are the writers uh have been mega screen fans from day one and their script was a love letter to wes craven and kevin williamson um okay like again that just like seems so on the nose with like oh we, we want this to be loved by this group of fans blah 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 but then within the movie itself, like you said, there's this whole commentary on toxic fandom. The killers are ultimately fans <laughs> right. of the Stab franchise. So it's like, are you attacking us? Or are you trying to cater? I, it's a very bizarre thing. Um, and there's this another, like, from Filmmaker Magazine. Uh, this is Tyler Gillette uh, basically saying, uh, the one thing we didn't necessarily expect or account for was how over the course of making the film, we would find ourselves in these meta moments where it felt like the experience of making the movie was folding in on the movie itself. These sequences were so are so aware of a particular trope while simultaneously aware of the audience being aware of the trope. <laughs> I mean, like I'm even trying to get through that sentence. I was like, what I get what he's saying. I really do. Right. But it's sort of like, it, it almost feels like the filmmakers and the writers got lost in this. Kind exactly. of self-reflexive yeah. loop of commentary, and it's the postmodern nightmare. And I mean, we've discussed this on the show. One of the reasons that the original Scream worked so well is that while Williamson had that kind of meta, uh, yeah. postmodern edge to his screenplay, I mean, it was soaked in it through and through. Yeah, by pairing it with Wes Craven, like a classicist, in very 100%. much the sense of the the term, going all the way back to the, like the seventies uh it's you have that kind of balance to it and that's one of the things that just felt made this new iteration feel so empty is that there's not any really any sense of balance between you know a true like risk-taking uh forward marching thrill ride and the you know academic commentary it just felt like if there was any kind of just like marching forward it felt like lockstep like phoning it in which was probably the most frustrating aspect of it um i mean i guess i'll disagree with you there i didn't feel like they were phoning it in i felt like like what you're talking about is the distinction between like williamson and and craven like that was the magic fix right and that's spot on i would agree with that here it almost seems like yes there is this academic sort of discourse about sequels and legacy sequels and requels and whatever that's huge and happening throughout the entire thing and then the second part of it is that it's you know uh, it is a love letter to the scream franchise and Russ craven and what he did and then there's just nothing else and so it's like it, the, i think those things are the that was the goal and they hit that goal right on mm-hmm. and it, there was a sort of craftsman like quality to the movie i thought at least where it seemed like oh yeah like they're hitting their marks like these scenes are interesting but like at its core, there's just nothing there to prop it up, which is so right. bizarre because, I mean, even one of the uh, directors, where is this quote where he talks about 
um, you know, one of the reasons that the original screen was so good is because it was scary. Ghostface was scary. Right. And uh, this is Matt, one of the directors. Uh, let's make, he says, let's make a Ghostface as scary as we possibly can because it's one of those things we love so much about the original. Even though it can be goofy sometimes or close to being goofy, we focus on how you balance that so it's so it's that true to the ghost face, but also as scary as possible. It's like, what did you find any of this scary? <laughs> uh, I'd say the one not scary, but there was that. I think the only time the suspense was really effective is that the daytime scene I mentioned. Yeah, um, but it's also like that's what made that's what made the first two screams so if, so uh, intense was not just like trying to ba- like I feel like that's weird that he's like putting the goofy comment off to the side yeah. in that quote uh like true to ghostface but also scary like that's what made ghostface so appealing mm-hmm. over the course of the franchise is that he is like both this ominous presence but completely incapable incompetent at you know following through and killing sydney prescott and yeah. That humor is that humor part is really missing so much throughout the film because it's either a wrapped up in the academic stuff or b like issued in favor of the you know dimly lit and kind of by the numbers and that's where I that's where I felt it like felt phoned in like for instance okay. you know uh, spoilers abound but like <laughs> Dewey Cox's death like that should th- I they really wanted to and like Brian Taylor is doing some heavy lifting as the composer in that scene where it's just like we're trying to make this like a real big legacy moment but it just feels so rote. Um whereas that scene in the daytime and with the character Wes, you know, opening and closing cupboards and the fridge, like that actually felt like both you know, honestly clever and suspenseful. And that's where that tone really really worked and i didn't find it much anywhere else in the film did you like i i mean i've i've made some concessions like clearly i'm a fan of that uh middle part of the film what 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 parts do you think worked if at all um oh god now you're gonna put me on the spot (laughs) um i don't know if any of it worked if i'm being totally honest uh and it's not because it's like they they're bad filmmakers or anything like that i think the conceit of this whole thing, well, I, we have to, the elephant in the room here is the lead, uh, Melissa Barrera, who I think is a good actor, by the way. She, uh, she was in In the Heights, right? Yeah, she's so, great she's in, in the Heights. In I in the Heights. Yeah. I don't know what happened in the casting process, but like the main character here has to be very nuanced emotionally. And in those scenes, whether it was their direction or the writing, or she just wasn't the right fit for this, none of it worked at all. Like the emotional thing with Billy Loomis being her father, like what? And then the, don't get me started on the hallucinogen. I mean, this thing was essentially doomed from the start because one, there's no... There is no goal here of creating like an, a truly original slasher movie. That was never the intention. And like, it, how are you supposed to make a good movie if you don't even start out wanting to make a good movie? You know what I mean? Like, they basically wanted to make this wink, wink kind of fun thing 
where um, if you're a Scream fan, you're going to love it. Can anybody who's not a Scream fan watch this and understand anything that's happening? You know, I, I I've often wondered that. Like, I even thought about, like, my students that saw the original Scream. Most of them very much enjoyed it. Like, they don't seem to have much of any interest in Scream 5, Scream 5 because, one, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have that kind of, you know, 90s uh, throwback feel to it. And also, like, they they don't want to really do the homework of watching 2, 3, 4. Uh, so, like, there there does, like you said, there, I mean, there's another quote in here about them, uh, the filmmakers wanting to really, you know, stay true to that idea that if you're going to make a Scream movie, you do have to take risks. And that's where I feel like they really didn't. Yeah, they whiffed it. Man. right like, like they what risk did they take I, I i don't know man did you see the new um the new ghostbusters uh not yet no afterlife no yeah afterlife <laughs> it, it, there's a scene at the end of that that uh you might walk out of the your own you might walk out of your own house as you're watching it <laughs> and be like this is this is this this is awful like this yeah. is the worst of this sort of legacy requel b- reboots it's a terrible scene uh, involving the ghosts of uh, some of the Ghostbusters, it, it's it's completely absurd. Uh, this movie, unfortunately, feels like that. The whole yeah. thing feels like it's this weird facsimile of um, it's like a facsimile of fan fiction. Yeah, and yeah. it's like what they're trying to criticize is exactly what they're doing. Right, right. Like the the killers are inspired because they want to make a new plot for stab whatever eight or nine because it's not like that's number one a really dumb uh, motivation yeah. and kind of <laughs> like when you go it's it's so interesting because I went back to the original and watched it and I was just completely blown away by how much better it was than the other movies like it's yeah. not even in the same league like Scream Two is like in a different universe than Scream um, and the thing is Scream already did this. Like, ultimately, they were inspired by films to kill people. Yeah, sure, there was some, some about his mother, blah, blah, blah. That, that, obviously, that didn't matter. Uh, it was the inspiration from the films that makes it so interesting. That's actually why the MPA gave it an R instead of an NC-17, because they liked the messaging that, like, <laughs> movies make yeah. you kill people. I mean, Weston intended for that, but he was fine with that happening. Um, the, and this is, like, and I was looking at, all the other movies and stuff and it's like scream five has nowhere to go like scream four essentially was a fun comedy but it's not really a horror movie at that point it's more of a parody of a parody um the only way that scream five could have really worked i think is that you would have to really disconnect it from the other films way more than they did yeah and it's just the some Melissa's character, Sam Carpenter, like being connected to Billy. It just seemed so middle schoolish. Right. Right. If you were asked to write, like a middle schooler to write a sequel to Scream, like this is what they come up with. I'm sounding terrible. I'm being really mean. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean to. I don't mean to be mean. But that's what it feels like to me. It's like. It's almost, I think. um, for me so disappointing because i know these guys are great filmmakers i know these guys are good writers and they can come up with something why do you feel like they felt boxed in or something yeah well i i was gonna say actually that it feels that they um kind of had these it 
because it felt rushed to me too. It feels overstuffed. It feels yeah. undercooked, and like they are just kind of going with whatever. Like they had this, uh, you know, modest hit, or at least you know, name recognition now because of Ready or Not, and they get this chance. And I mean, just like I would, they they ran with it, but they ran too fast and too far, and you wind up. Like you said you earlier with the quote about, uh, you know, the Ouroboros of it all, it, they get lost in it. And so it, there's no real structure to guide to like for, to rein them in. So it is kind of the phrase boxed in feels almost uh, paradoxical because like they've boxed themselves in by um, not like actually giving themselves any real guidance. And or like you said earlier, the guidance is overly simple. It's just like love letter to um, both the fans and the original filmmakers. I think that you, you also hit something on the, a nail on the head when you say like a facsimile of fan fiction. Um, I think there's some really telling quotes in some of these press circuit interviews. Um, uh, one from David Arquette, who said when he originally received the first draft of the script he said my concerns were some of the other things that were in there that in my opinion weren't very dewy like i understood him being in a dark place but never thought he was a drinker that also just like threw me for a loop just like you know nerdy introverted dewy cox like as like a retired drunk in a trailer um yeah it didn't hit for me uh and then also um uh there's the COVID aspect, of course, like they're filming this in a very like disconnected way uh, from Nev Campbell saying to The Hollywood Reporter um, that, you know, she always loved sitting by the monitor and being with the directors and seeing what the shots were and discussing what they're looking for. But like because of the COVID protocols, which are understandable and admirable, um, there was this kind of clinical feel to it. She had to sit in another room with a monitor and she didn't really get to collaborate especially since she was more of a side character this time around like she doesn't actually appear in the film until the midway point um and that just and there's this rushed feeling to it too like you you have to get things done editor michelle aller talked about how you know she had to um turn things around very quickly because you know the the cast only initially got the first 80 pages of the script and they wanted to see if they could um, get the the initial scene, the initial house where uh, the opening um, attempt at the kill occurs with uh, Sam's little sister, and then you have also the biggest issue I think with why the final act doesn't work, and I couldn't quite place my finger on it until I saw this quote, which is that it's not even the original house, even though they yeah. go at so much Talk about facts length somewhere. yeah they go to so much length in the script to like point out the fact that this is stumacher's house and it doesn't look like it like it doesn't yeah it doesn't i thought it was bizarre <laughs> I, yeah now that i'm thinking about it because yeah because that's such an establishing shot multiple times west does that where he like pulls out from the house especially the end yeah and it's like, like in the, the middle of nowhere, yeah. right? It feels like that, and that's the thing. It's like Wes is so good about like, that sense of place, right? And we talk yeah. about this in the episode uh, regarding Last House on the Left. Like, even though, um, even though it's like you know so uh, micro budget and low quality, like 
he's always been a master of that sense of place. And the cinematographer speaks to this too. And I think not to harp on it, well, this will be the last time I mention it with that, you know, the, the wet, the character of Wes's house and his mom, Judy, uh, that actually felt like lived in carefully, you know, blocked and lit and shot. But every other scene from the hospital to the initial, um, uh, attack uh, opening of the film to the you know climactic finale all of that feels so just like full of medium shots and dim yeah. lighting and uh it's it's frustrating it's it, it feels lacking yeah and yeah what's the i love this quote you have here about uh melissa barrera and shooting the scene to the tennis ball yes exactly and i think that's maybe goes back to your question like how is she good in the heights but not good here and i think that's that's <laughs> one of the things that uh, uh i remember reading about from um i don't remember if it was williamson or craven but like uh the actor who played the original like ghost face voice you know like yeah. he'd actually be there talking on the phone and they they'd mm. re- you know, ADR the lines in later, but like you got some like actual, you know, interaction and fear going on with uh, the various characters. We're on the phone with Ghostface, but it something feels off from the opening scene with the little sister. And that's yeah, why it just doesn't, <laughs> didn't have that spark. But I feel like we're in the minority though. Right? Yeah, and yeah, you look yeah, at, yeah. Like all this audience stuff and critic stuff. And you know, what's the RT score? Rotten Tomato score is 81%. Cinema score was a B plus, which is pretty strong. The Scream Two got a B plus, Scream Three and Four got a B and B minus. Um, so it's one of the better received ones right out of the gate. Letterbox is at seventy, which is a which is pretty good. Uh, IMDb dropped a lot because I, I did the notes initially when I first saw it, and the IMDb was at like seventy six, which is very high. Uh, that was in the first week of release, I think, and then it dropped down to sixty six uh metacritic audience was a small sample 71 and then google was way lower at like like i want to say like 60 something and then jumped up to 84 hmm. percent so it's all over the map i mean critics seem to like it 76 percent all critics 62 percent top critics so a little bit lower there 67 percent overall score which is it was decently strong and then a metacritic of 60 obviously there's a discrepancy between critics and fans and normal audience i should say uh, critics are a little bit more critical uh, and see some of these problems. But, you know, it, it's a success. Um, it's just passing, I think, about $80 million probably this weekend. Uh, I think it's over 130 um, worldwide, shot for about $24 million. A big marketing budget, though, let's be honest. So it's definitely going to be profitable, and we're going to get a sequel out of it. Um, are we just being curmudgeons? Are we too old for this movie? You know, you have to account, I mean, probably is the short answer, but yeah. you, I think you have to account for the fact that um, of all the kinds of films that feel necessary to the movie theater experience, horror movies have to be near or if not at yeah. the top of the list, right? Definitely. Um, and the fact that, you know, this is maybe one of the first like real hits that isn't Spider-Man <laughs> after, uh, you know, so many months of that the exhibition industry languishing uh of course it makes sense that this is the movie that people are you know actually liking and seeing and talking about um even if it's not super well done it's at least like there 
like I'm glad I saw it. Like I think that I was, you know, moderately entertained. And if I'm a curmudgeon and I'm moderately entertained, even though afterwards I'm like, oh, these are the things I don't like about it. And laundry list, hour long podcast, let's go. <laughs> There's gotta be a tons of people that are just like, ah, the movies, right? <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I'm being overly harsh to both of us um, because like our, our Chaser movie, Happy Death Day, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in 2017, uh, is one of my favorite slasher movies. And it's, you know, it's a film that doesn't do a whole lot, isn't really all that new or interesting. It takes a really kind of funny idea like Groundhog's Day meets Scream. Uh, and just plays with it and goes for it. And, you know, it's incredibly entertaining and great, but it, it feels like it has a spark to it, right? Right. Um, now, did you see Happy Death Day when it came out? No, no, I actually uh, didn't see. And I still haven't said, seen the second one. Um, I saw Happy Death Day for the first time, like just uh, two or three years ago. I think it yeah. was actually like two years ago. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, you know, I heard it's fun, um, but it didn't seem like it didn't seem like much or you know, quote, very important. And yeah. I brushed it off. Um, but yeah, when I finally saw it, 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 the one of the things that's so great about the movie is that it has that kind of briskness to it that yes. is missing in a lot of modern day horror. Yeah. Where it's just like you watch it and then it's like over in a flash. And it's really like vibrant that way. And exactly. because it yeah. takes such a simple premise and does it with the time loop. Um, it, it, it has a, the gimmick quality to it, but you know, horror movies are meant to, in some way be kind of trashy. And so with even like the line about, um, have you seen Groundhog Day at the end of the film? (laughs) I mean, the movie is painfully self-aware, but it doesn't relish in it. Um, it just does its job. It's very utilitarian. Well, how would you compare Happy Death Day then to Scream 5? Where's the overlap in the self-aware sort of filter that we're going through now? You know, there's this, um, I was trying to put my finger on it while I rewatched Happy Death Day again, uh, just earlier today. And maybe you can help me put some language to this. There's this kind of, kind of this schlocky glossiness that, um, it works when it's in service of like, a transparently schlocky premise yeah and maybe this is like you are very much more of a a blumhouse expert than i um that feels like uh can be a blessing or a curse depending on who is who's helming it i think that christopher landon the director of happy death day and he obviously went on to do the sequel and uh another kind of uh critically acclaimed schlock fest freaky which i still have to see also oh this is great yeah, I keep hearing. I, 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 I the one that's another one where I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna do it someday, and I'm sure I'm gonna like it. But it, 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 it often falls into the wrong hands so often, and I think that's unfortunately what happened more with Scream Five because I totally get like this kind of trashy feel to it, but when you combine it with like this postmodern academic kind of attempt, then it just falls flat. It's very sterile almost, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think. Happy Death Day is a great example of the Blumhouse model. You know, it was made for essentially $5 million, which is what Blumhouse does. Here's $5 million. And the thing that he does that's a lot different is basically 
I'm not going to talk to you again. Here's $5 million. <laughs> I'm not giving you a cent more. Uh, do whatever you need to do and like get it done. And there's a looseness and a freedom there. Um, but I'm not necessarily, sh- I'm not sure that Spyglass was on set every day with the guys at Scream 5. Like I, I almost feel like the Blumhouse model is, it works because of the looseness and the openness it gives to creatives and the director and, and, and everybody involved. I feel like Scream 5, I feel like they put themselves in a box. Mm-hmm. Right? They're talking about like the fan service and want to do it for Wes and Kevin Williamson being executive producer. It feels like there is a lot of pressure there. Where I guarantee you with Happy Death Day, there was little to no pressure whatsoever. It was like, hey, this might do well. It did really well. Like $5 million ended up being $125 million in the box office. It was a smash hit. We got a sequel. It sounds like we're going to get a third one, I think, in your notes. Um, Jason Blum's hinting at that. I think it's like, and, and, and this also, you know, reminds me a bit of something I was reading uh, when I did watch, rewatch Scream. I went back and read a lot of articles just because I was interested. And the thing that came up over and over again uh, when they were talking about the production of Scream was that like, oh, we thought this was a small movie. Yeah. We just thought this was just like Wes and, you know, was getting another chance to do a horror movie is kind of like he had this last movie didn't do very well. And so there wasn't a lot of pressure necessarily. And there wasn't a lot of expectation. And I think that like that pressure and expectation can really constrict the creative process. And honestly, I think that's the, the issue with Scream 5 is it just... It, it wanted to do uh, a lot of different things, but didn't do the most basic thing, which is tell a good story. Right. Like, what's the story of Scream? I couldn't even tell you what the plot is. No, like, it's just like so dumb. Going <laughs> back to your comment about the the motivation of the killers, um, you know, initially that was one of the things that bummed me out about Happy Death Day, just on my first watch, where it was yeah. like, I'm, I had a lot of fun, but like at the end, it's just like, oh, it's it's uh it's over a guy um but then like the 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 line that hit really hard for me this time around because maybe especially because i saw it on the heels of scream five was like uh you know the 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 villain re- it turns out to be her roommate and she yeah. says uh it, she says you know the thing about the guy and he's and then he's like but also it's because you're a dumb bitch and <laughs> And then you have the final, like, that's hilarious. But that's, but it's again, that, uh, it's this lightness to the whole thing. Yeah. And which also reflects the original scream. Correct. Because, you know, there is that, you know, arguably, you know, deep, you know, naughty discourse about, uh, the influence of movies on real life violence, but then a similar kind of thing, like Stu's whole line of like peer pressure. And then Billy Loomis, you know, saying like, uh, ultimately is uh it's not the movies that made us kill but they just helped us be more creative yes well it's like yeah it's so it's like it's brilliant it's hilarious and it's smart because it finds it finds that way to give the characters motivation and then also give the movie something to be about it doesn't have that overstuffed kind of you know wild ensemble that Scream 5 does, which also Happy Death Day has that like very slimmed down cast where it basically just becomes about this one person. Um, I think yeah. that it, 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 it is weird. It's, it does feel like such a mindfuck that it's both like Scream 5 is boxed in and also doesn't have any 
doesn't have any like aim or purpose yeah it's kind of bizarre uh, yeah it, it at the end of the day like all they really had to do is tell a genre story mm-hmm. which is not that hard like it's like it's a slasher movie yeah like final girl you could have a final i mean you could do the whole scream thing and you know obviously they did this in the beginning with sort of fake kill but like why they also screwed the formula yeah Right, like you just all you needed was like it should okay do like um Cindy Prescott's daughter or something, mm-hmm. or her niece. I mean, her niece was in what four, right? Two, yeah. yeah. Watch. Whatever, do it again. I don't care. Do her nephew. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the yeah. whole point is none of it matters as long as you hit your marks. Yeah, which is like paint by numbers storytelling. Just do it. Just give me a protagonist. Have them go through stuff. Have them survive, and then kill the killer at the end. Why the killer kills is completely irrelevant. Yeah, doesn't mean anything. And um, yeah, there there was no like, there's no punchline to the oh, we wanted to have an inspiration for, you know, correcting the stab franchise. Like, like how is that even? <laughs> yeah, and like Did the they... two killers meet on Reddit and <laughs> dread it even the oh. horse subreddit right, <laughs> which is so specific, and I oh, frequent it every day. But there, there. They, there's so many. That's the thing is like. You, you, they they get they get close to it right like there yeah. is something there to say about like the internet and uh, i don't know what does it just... say about self-aware horror though like we, if we view it from like the big you know mm-hmm. um sort of subject matter here and the holistic perspective that we need to take what is the what does scream 5 say about self-aware horror and whether it works or doesn't work <sighs> Well, I think like that goes back to the distinction between Scream Five and Happy Death Day, which yeah. is you know trying to make something fun and memorable and iconographic that fits within the you know enjoyable limitations of the genre, and ultimately, you know, I would still say the original Scream is heads and shoulders above Happy Death Day, but yes. if we're if yeah. we're at this point, this nadir of horror, like all we all we can do is like find something that's like gruesomely effective. And yeah. I don't know. It, it, it we haven't even touched the <laughs> there's so many elephants in the room when it comes to Scream 5. Yeah. Uh the use of the term elevated horror. <laughs> oh god, do we have yeah, we have to, I think, at least. I, I think that it. I think that makes sense where to end this. Because well, yeah, so to explain in the opening, essentially mm-hmm. to mimic the discussion of horror movies like Drew Barrymore was, and those were seventies and eighties slashers. Um, what's what's her name? Jen Ortega. Um, mm-hmm. she's in. Uh, she's supposedly the the first victim here, although she survives. And they start talking about elevated horror. What does she say? She's not into it, or she is into it. I can't remember. No, she, yeah, she isn't. She uh, she doesn't watch that. You know. She doesn't watch the stab movies because they're cliched and stereotypical. Yeah. Um, she only watches, uh, she's more into elevated horror. Like, she specifically names, like, The Babadook is her favorite movie. <laughs> and she could name any, she could answer any questions about It Follows or The Witch or Hereditary. Um, all my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> I but mean, so, so, so that's it. Like, I guess that's our question. Do, is there a pot? Is there a world where you can be self-aware, but still be quote elevated? Because like the thing about those films, it follows, etc., is that while they are in some way self-aware by just like repurposing a lot of elements of the horror genre, 
they don't specifically <clears throat> name it in the script, right? Kind of like when we had a discussion about 28 Days Later. Like, yeah. it's soaked in influ- influence and inspiration from Romero, but they never say the word zombie. They never no. say, uh, oh, I feel like I'm in Night of the Living Dead. Like, <laughs> that would yeah. be dumb. <laughs> like, I think that whole... Did that did that whole like a chance to be obliquely self-aware die in the turn of the century? Yes, 100%. I think that that being uh, explicitly self-aware in the universe of filmmaking made sense between like, I don't know, 92 and 2002 maybe. Yeah, short window, short window. Yeah, because like now <laughs> it's like that was an interesting sort of postmodern technique and movement. And Wes Craven was part of that new nightmare. I mean, come on. Uh, definitely a precursor to Scream. Uh, yeah, nowadays it's like you... And let's bring it back to Cabin in the Woods. No. You know, Cabin in the Woods essentially does that, but they don't really name movies, do they? No, just tropes. Just right? tropes, yeah. Um, and in that sense, like, to me, that was definitely, and I've said this many times on this whole cycle, that that was the end point of the whole scream movement yeah and sort of being meta and trying to comment on to explicitly comment on the genre um conspicuously right saying stuff out loud doing it what i find so strange about like especially them kind of going after elevated horror here is they're trying what are they trying to say about elevated horror like what are they trying to critique i always find that so strange because the reason why scream worked is because it critiqued a cycle of films that weren't very good, but very popular. Mm-hmm. And so it was easy to sort of make fun of them as like, oh, these stupid, like, all these things in the Friday the 13th and all these sequels, blah, blah, blah. Like, there was, there was a satirical sort of eat bullseye to hit. You know, what's the bullseye to hit with? I mean, Ari Asher's maybe a little bit different. I think he could do some parody of him pretty easily, but it follows The Witch. It doesn't, where's the meat on the bones of the irony there? You know, where's the comedic payoff of making fun of those movies? I just don't see it. Yeah. You know, I don't see like what the real target is. And that's the thing is like, uh, you know, it follows is steeped in, uh, you know, an allegory about STDs. And as uh, the characters explain in Scream 5, Babadook is very much about, mother's grief like we've kind of come back through so that we're back in the era of like the exorcist and uh, the movies that like started this whole genre um but we're in a more i don't know there's it's a it's a it's stupid that there's a name that's easily mockable for this type of horror movie and yet we i mean it doesn't like I want more. I want more movies that are of the quality. Of yeah, give me more. Another like, Get Out. Get me another Raw. Yeah, like that. Those are the types of movies that like they're just really good horror movies. And like, yeah, you could parody them, I guess. But like, what's the point? Um, and that's why I think I don't know. I I just feel like uh, like I'm dreading Scream Six. Yeah, but we're like, gonna see it. Of course, I'm going to see it. But like it. <laughs> There's no way it's going to be good. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it just, it felt to me like Scream 5, just in terms of self-aware horror, is that brick wall. Mm-hmm. 
right it's like we hit the brick wall of cabin in the woods it's like okay this is enough like just stop and that's how we got to elevated horror because that was 2012 ish right and then all of a sudden it follows comes out in 2014 the witch in like 2016 i think raw was 2016 i think uh that's what sort of sparked this sort of okay we need to do something different scream five feels like it's trying to be scream four back in 2011 <laughs> yeah you know yes. it just doesn't feel like it's moved past you know it's not for a, a film that is so self-aware about scream it seems almost completely oblivious to the discourse of horror film like it just like it just doesn't get it at all about where it's been going and where you know where it's been the last decade and it i don't know it just comes across as um it it was uh, a very valiant attempt to do something in honor of Wes craven and i think they failed pretty miserably all across the board yeah i think that there's a there's a telling moment in the film when uh it it, it feels like a moment that should have you know, been a huge laugh. And I don't know about your, maybe your audience was a little more, uh, they're pretty lively. Okay. They're, (laughs) but in, in, you know, in my audience, uh, you know, over a month after the film came out and a pretty small crowd, but, uh, it, 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 the moment when, you know, Sydney says like, there's no way I'll go back to Woodsboro. And then she, and then she shows up and she shows up in this moment where it's like, Dewey Cox, this legacy character, has finally died. Like, they're they're for a movie that is about self awareness. It doesn't seem like it's self aware of like how much that could have been a comedic payoff. Yeah, of, of like Sydney Prescott literally saying she's never returning to Woodsboro, and then she comes back to Woodsboro. Yeah, I think there's um, almost too much respect for Scream. Mm, mm. Right? There's too much. Well, there's too much that like they're right they didn't take enough risk yeah you gotta break you know what's the term like kill your idols kill your heroes yeah yeah uh something like that they just didn't do that you have to do it right like you have to do something new you have to sort of bury these old films and say yeah they're that's cool that they did this but like i want to do something different and new and they never really did that right they could have killed dewey dewey cox in the opening scene like he comes to try to save Jenna Ortega and Ghostface offs him right there. Like, yeah, that would have like, been, been the final, you know, the, the initial kill in terms of just like him going after him and himself. Although that reminds me of Lev Shriver in Scream 3, which I hate that. True, opening scene, true, so. true. And that's the thing is like they, 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 like you said, they kind of drew, drew themselves into a corner because there's so many things that three, two, three, and four already did. So, like, uh, it's almost like, you know, they were right to, to say the no more. The cow yeah. has been melted. Oh, it no feels. It, it, oh God, that's a sad, you know, sentiment to end on. That uh, a Weinstein was white, but I guess hey, you know, in this case, it's sort of. But I, I, I do think that there was potential here to do something interesting, um, with the screen franchise, and I think you know, there's a balance between being self-aware and meta and actually making a good movie. Yep. And yep. Wes got that, and Kevin got that in the beginning, and they fought about it on set about it, literally. Um, but it was that conflict between those two sort of um, elements of of making a self aware movie that that worked out in the end. Whereas with um, I think Scream Five, it's a fa- it failed in that sense. And Happy Death Day, I think, was a big win with that. But all but mm-hmm. the stakes were so low. Yes, exactly. It was a it was a script that had been you know on the shelves forever, and 
you know, it's just like, and that's, it has this kind of like dusted off feeling to it. And look at, look at what we have now. Like after Happy Death Day, we had Edge of Tomorrow and Palm Springs and yeah. like, the, sometimes the lower stakes, like the old ideas are tried and true and are clever enough still to like spark a little mini movement, um, a little mini subgenre. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that at least we have that. And we have still like brilliant filmmakers you know, doing horror in a respectful and meaningful way. Uh, I think that we'll see that we'll see both of those. We'll have both our Saint mods and our malignants for years to come. Uh, I don't need Scream 6. <laughs> I don't need Scream 6. Awesome. Um, any final thoughts here? Because this is the first episode of our self-aware horror cycle. Yeah, yeah probably um, programming note for listeners. We we recorded all these episodes for this cycle, all about self-aware horror. We'll dole them out to you a, a little faster than we typically had before. Um, but we want to make sure that we have it all done so we can have kind of these bigger conversations about the overall evolution. So keep listening. We'll have um, episodes about everything from Wes Craven's West, Last House of the Left to Cabin of the Woods by Drew Goddard and Josh Sweden, as well as uh, really interesting discussions with some great guests. So I'm excited to uh, get all these out here and also look at what might we put together for uh, the spring and summer. Awesome. Thanks for listening. This has been Film Trace.